Hey, welcome uh, online. We're glad you're joining us. And I'm Dan, one of the pastors here. And if I've never met you, I'd love the chance to meet you sometime. Uh, if you're somebody who watches regularly, love for you to shoot us an email. Tell us how we can be praying for you. Uh, we'd love to be acquainted with you, but let us know you're watching and uh, tell others about it. If you live in the area, we have four services on Sunday, 8, 9, 30, 11, 5.30. Love for you to come and join us. Love this time of year, right? Fall. I know if you're a student, you're like, oh, back to school. I hate this time of year, right? But it's fall in the air. Football is coming, all that kind of good stuff. So we're going to be concluding today our series in the fruit of the Spirit. So if you have a Bible, grab that, go to Galatians 5, lay that in your lap. We're going to be all over the place, uh, but Galatians 5 is where we've been camping out. And here's the passage that we've been looking at. It said the fruit of the Spirit's love. Talked about that. Joy. It's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and today, self-control. That's my topic for today, self-control. Now, I think this, when I think about uh, this fruit of the Spirit, we've been talking about fruit of the Spirit, all these things uh, are simply external evidences of an internal transformation. We've been saying it's this, that fruit of the Spirit is a result of abiding with Jesus, or maybe another way to say it is this, it's more of Jesus, less of me. Anybody need that? <laughs> more of Jesus, less of me. Think our world would be a little better if we had a little bit of that? <laughs> think our churches would be a little better if we had a little more of that? Yeah. Right? And so the fruit of the Spirit, just this evidence of Jesus, me abiding with Jesus, more of him showing up in my life, less of me. And so we've been looking at each of these uh, one by one today, self-control. Now, I feel a little bit like the kid who woke up Christmas morning. You ever had this experience? And he opens up these incredible gifts, gets a new bike, right? The shiny new uh, game, the, the, the new football, and gives out the celebratory thank you. It's like what I wanted. It's what I desired. It's what I was looking for. It's what I was wishing for. But after he opens up those gifts around the tree that he's like, oh, I love it. I'm so excited about it. He sees there's one or two more left, right? There's one or two more left, and uh, it doesn't take long to do the math as a kid. And there's one or two left, uh, you do the Christmas math, and you're like, I haven't opened up any uh, underwear yet, <laughs> right? And uh, I haven't opened up Aunt Mabel's annual out-of-style shirt she usually buys me, right? And so you open those gifts up, right? And, and what do you do, right? You give the obligatory thank you, <laughs> right? Thank you, Aunt Mabel, thank you. I feel a little bit that way today, like uh, we've opened up some incredible gifts, love, man, I wish I'd pray for that peace, joy, all these things we've opened up and, and, and we love them, people pray for them, people want them, but there's one package left under the tree, there's not a lot of people praying for it, it's kind of like the fruit of the spirit underwear, so to speak, right? You can't enjoy the others without it, but it's not like you were really excited about opening it, and so that's what we're going to take a look at, self-control. There's not tons of people praying for self-control, but almost all of us, probably all of us, need self-control. Safe to say that when we get that package out from underneath the tree and open it up, it looks a lot like Aunt Mabel's annual out-of-style shirt she used to buy you. Uh, the self-control is really something that isn't that fashionable in our world. In fact, Paul told a young pastor whose name was Timothy that would be the case, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Man, I think we can see some of this. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, 
boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, say it out loud, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. I think the point here is simply this. If you're taking notes, I'd write it down this way. Self-control seems unfashionable in our self-focused society. You ever get something? You ever get something to wear that somebody gave you? You didn't choose for yourself and it just didn't seem to fit in? I remember when I was a kid, my, my mom bought me this green light green, this weird kind of, it wasn't lime green, but it wasn't like dark green. It was like this in between, this this weird light green leisure suit. She was so excited. She couldn't wait. And she bought this like kind of funky shirt to wear and you open the collar up and it had green and yellow. I mean, it looked like a big green bean going into church, right? And she's so excited. I remember thinking to myself, man, I do not see anybody else wearing anything that looks like this. I, I, I remember thinking to myself, I stand out like a sore thumb. It didn't seem to be the fashion, so to speak. Sometimes that's how self-control can feel. It seems out of style in our culture of self-expression, self-gratification, self-fulfillment, a culture that is devoted to me. Now the question comes, how did we get here? How, how did we get here? Let me rewind some things for you, remind you of some things that you might not have been with us for, but I talked to the group here about a year ago, uh, and that is this, that we Americans love our freedom. Amen? We love our freedom. It's part of the culture that we uh, grew up in. It's part of our history. It's part of the fabric of who we are. It, it, for Americans, it might be one of, if not the most important value that we hold as a country. We're grateful for our freedom. Uh, it's part of the fabric of the foundation of the founding of the story of our nation. The very founding of our country was the pursuit of freedom, the protection of our freedom. I'm thankful for our freedom. Are you thankful? I'm thankful for our freedom. But it is important for us to honestly acknowledge the slow and subtle drift that the obsession with freedom has taken over the years. Our obsession with freedom has turned into an, what I'm going to call an evolution of freedom that is directly tied to our understanding of self-control. It's directly tied to self-control or the lack thereof of self-control. Let me really quickly, and you can pause this at any time and take snapshots of this. Let me take you through kind of an evolution of our freedom at one time, we were a culture of authority. Some of you are old enough, maybe my age, maybe older. And you remember this. We used to live by an authority, and they, they tell us what to do. Uh, so God, uh, maybe it's our parents. Uh, maybe it's, uh, it's, it's church. Maybe it's the police. Maybe it, like There was this culture of authority. And that has kind of evolved into a culture of autonomy. Uh, we moved into living by what our authentic self desires to do. Like, be true to you is kind of the, the way that works. In that evolution of freedom, uh, this culture of authority, Augustine said this, made in the image of God, our basic problem, look at this, is disordered love. Remember that. Uh, it's not just loving the wrong things, but it is loving the right things, but in the wrong order. 
But that's evolved, and all of a sudden, you would recognize this name, Freud, early 1900s, influenced by a Darwinian uh, evolutionary thought, survival of the fittest, libido, the sexual desire, is the most important desire you have, desire for pleasure, repression of desire is the source of what's wrong with you, is what he'd say. So when you try to repress your desire, self-control, right? That, that's where depression and anxiety come from. Which leads to this, this culture of authority, self-mastery is essential to steward freedom. That's interesting. Self-control is the ability to say no to the wrong things. Self-discipline, the ability to say yes to the right things. It has evolved, though, into from self-mastery to self-gratification, where this self-expression is the key. Freedom is not necessarily something to be stewarded, but it's a moral right to express myself and do what I want to do and to do it how I want to do it. Charles Taylor, a Canadian philosopher, said it this way, let each person do their own thing. And one shouldn't criticize the other's values because they have a right to live their own life as you do. The only sin which is not tolerated is intolerance. Uh, Here's the point. Stay with me on this. The historical freedom has led to an evolution of our modern understanding and expression of freedom. It's gone from freedom from tyrants, the country built on that, and it's evolved into this individual autonomy that that will accept no restraints and no constraints. It's the freedom to assert myself. It's the freedom to express myself. It's the freedom to gratify myself. I would say this way. Our country's collective declaration of independence has evolved into a bunch of individual declarations of independence. And so we have songs like Express Yourself. Uh, Things like You Want It, You Got It. Any way you want it, that's the way you need it. The greatest value is the value of self-fulfillment. We use phrases like this. You do you. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Do what makes you happy. To thine own self be true. The heart wants what the heart wants. And what happens is our national anthem evolves into this individual anthem that's seen in the arts and the media and the songs we sing and has even made its way into, and I mentioned this the first time around and I may hear from you this time around, into the well-known Disney classic Frozen. And the song that the main character sings, Let It Go. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. Listen, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm what? I'm free. To many in our culture, this culture where it's evolved into this autonomy, this this culture of autonomy, the, the baseline narrative of freedom, Christianity feels like the enemy to that value. To many, that's the way it feels. Feels like a virtual straitjacket to our liberty to express ourselves and do whatever we want. And the virtue or the gift of self control seems out of style. And yet the truth is, I want you to write this down self control is critical, essential to experiencing true freedom. I would even say it's the result of experiencing true freedom. The whole part of Galatians where we find the fruit of the Spirit couched in is a conversation about freedom. Did you know that? The fruit of the Spirit passage that we've been reading is couched in, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be what? Free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
You see, I would say it's not only critical, but it is the result of experiencing true freedom. The book of Proverbs says this about self-control, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Uh, in ancient times, this proverb just pointed to in ancient times, it was the wall that protected the city. And therefore, it protected the citizens' ability to freely enjoy the fruits of living in that city. Self-control feels like a confining and restrictive word, and our palate for freedom can hardly chew it and digest it. It feels like it infringes on my freedom, and yet what Proverbs is saying is it protects the ability to experience true freedom. Freedom that is really freedom that's only found in Christ. That's what Galatians is all about. But it's the lack of self-control that causes me to live without walls that opens up, stay with me, some of you are experiencing this, opens up my life to all kinds of destructive vices and addictions that Galatians 5, same passage, has mentioned. It opens me up to the acts of the flesh, sexual immorality, do whatever I want to do sexually, impurity, let whatever debauchery, idolatry. I'm going to make uh, good things, essential things. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, vision in our country, right? Uh, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It opens it up to that. Without self-control, we begin to indulge ourselves and gratify ourselves, and our lives are like lives without walls to protect. And what happens is we find ourselves confined by our own indulgences. We find ourselves captive to our own passions. We find ourselves confined by our own hedonistic desires. We find ourselves shackled to our own debt. We find ourselves hostage to our inability to control our tongue or maybe our fingers. We find ourselves incarcerated by our addictions. Not free. The writer Philip Kennison says this, to get an idea of the scope of the problem, one only need to explore resources this society dedicates to the treatment of addictions. Now this is not, for some of you are walking through this, and we have recovery ministries here, and I'd invite you, if you're struggling with, uh, with, with addiction to alcohol, drugs, come Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, we have ministries here. But a cursory search of the internet reveals that 12-step programs are available for those addicted to alcohol, narcotics, overeating, sex, work, debt, marijuana, cocaine, nicotine, gambling, and even emotions. The study and treatment of addictions are becoming increasingly institutionalized and professionalized. To combat addictions, we now have research institutes, international symposiums, and science journals, and addictive recovery institutes staffed by national addictive therapists. I, I think all he's doing here is pointing out that what happens at the end of the day is we become confined by our own hedonistic desires. When there's no walls, the wall of self-control, right, to protect. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we develop self-control? Well, some of us are like, I'm just going to become self-controlled. I'm going to control myself. I'm going to bite my lip. I'm going to I'm going to do the right things and I'm going to choose not to do the wrong things. It's going to be mind over matter. 
And that's not terrible, but what happens is my mind says no while my heart is screaming what? Yes. And all of a sudden it becomes this great conflict. Here's the problem with that mentality. It leads to a dark dungeon as well. It's the dark dungeon of legalism. Some of you have experienced that. You've been hurt by that. You grew up in churches like that. Paul confronted this dark dungeon of legalism all the time. And in one particular passage, Colossians 2, he says, You died with Christ and he has set you, there it is, free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world that says, Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. He's saying there's a limit. This is the way of the Stoics. For some of you, you've tried this way. And for some of you, it was short-lived. For others of you, you're really good at this way. Can I just talk to you a minute? You're really good at this way. And so you're like, I can will myself to be self-controlled. And the problem is, it feeds something that you haven't figured out how to control. And that's your pride. Others of you, you're not good at this way. And so what you've been led to do is lead a life of duplicity. Uh, to, To live a life with secrets. You can relate with what Paul says. The good I want to do, I don't do. The the, the things I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing. And, and you're like, I'm that guy. And, and there's a lot of duplicity in the church of Jesus Christ today. Can I say this? There's a lot of secrets in the church of Jesus Christ. I read one guy that said this, the thing we rail the most about publicly is often the thing we're wrestling with the most privately. And I agree. The fact of the matter is, when it comes, this might surprise you, when it comes to self-control, Self-control is not simply you deciding to control yourself. It's not mind over matter. It's not just mind over matter. There's more to it than this. There's more to it than just mind over matter. We are body, soul, and spirit. Furthermore, stay with me on this. Self-control is a what? Fruit of the spirit. Stay with me on this. It's a fruit. It's the result of my life being rooted in something deeper that grows the fruit of self-control. It is the product of being connected, rooted in something more profound that grows the fruit of self-control. Self-control is the result of being free. Self-control is the result of being rooted. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. That's what he says. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So how in the world does this get produced? Well, I'm going to take you to a passage for the next few minutes, show you a few things, and then, then we'll be done. But I think it will help us understand how this gets produced. Paul's writing, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Though I am, there's our word, free, belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why would he do that? To win as many as possible to Jesus. To the Jew I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So I might win those not having the law, he says. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things 
to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. That was his heart. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And then he goes on to say this, don't you know that a in a race, all the runners run, but only how many get the prize? Say it, only how many? One get the prize. So he says, run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into, say those two words out loud, what are they? Strict training. Underline those in your Bibles. You ought to write in your Bible. Circle it up. Mark it up. You don't get extra points for clean Bibles. Strict training. Why do I tell you to underline that? Because he says everyone who competes in the games and wants to win the prize goes into strict training. It is the same Greek word for self-control. He's saying in all things, literally to translate, that everyone who competes goes into all things self-control. That's what he's saying. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that a runner runs to get the prize and he goes into strict training. He, in all things, self-control. He's going to wear down any resistance in his life that keeps him from the prize that keeps him from running the race and keeps him from winning the prize. A runner wants the prize more than anything. He sets or she sets their heart on the prize. That means this, I'm going to say no to anything that disqualifies me from the race or hinders me from running the race effectively. And I'm going to say yes to anything that makes me more effective in running. Why? Because my heart, my affection, my focus is set on the prize. That is what I am wanting. That is what I am desiring. And therein lies the secret of self-control. He says a runner will control himself in all things to be able to run the race, to be able to win the prize. If you're taking notes, write this down. Self-control is the fruit of of a love that's been reordered by the gospel. Self-control is the fruit of a love reordered by the gospel. Runners run for the love of the prize. Boxers box for the love of the knockout. Wrestlers wrestle for the, the love of the medal. Here's what Augustine said. Let me remind you that we are made in the image of God and our basic problem is disordered love. Listen close to what I want to tell you because some of you are really working hard at this. The lack of self-control is the result of a love that's been disordered. The secret to self-control in your life as a follower of Jesus is a love that has been reordered by the gospel. Did you know this? You and I are the compilation of desires. Some of them are wrong desires. And, and we need to replace them. We need to eradicate them. We need to call them out. But some of them are not necessarily wrong, but they're competing desires. Uh, did you know that? Like, you're free and you have desires, but sometimes those desires compete with each other. Like, like I really, really want to be fit. And I really, really, really love chocolate ice cream. Right? I have desires. Uh, I want a career and I want to really be successful and show my company that, that I'm going to do whatever it takes to move up the ladder in my career and I want to be a present parent. And sometimes those things can collide. 
Well, which one, when I have competing desires, which one wins? Listen, listen. Write this down. No slide for it. The supreme one. The supreme desire wins. This is the secret to a runner controlling himself in all things. The love to sleep, a runner loves to sleep. But they'll get up at 5 a.m. to run. Why? Because they love the prize more. A runner loves chocolate cake, but they're going to say no. Why? Because they love the prize more. There is a passion that supersedes all other passions. Thomas Chalmers, late 1700s, early 1800s, wrote a sermon or a talk. He said this, We only cease to be slave of one appetite because it has been brought into subordination to another appetite. Uh, Here's what I mean by that. If, If you have kids, you've seen this play out as they grow up. You have a kid who loves to sleep. So they wait for the last possible moment to get up to go to school. Uh, you have a kid who can't comb his hair, uh, doesn't brush his teeth every day, uh, and always goes to school with his shirt tucked out. All of a sudden, that kid starts brushing his teeth, combing his hair, getting up early. All of a sudden, his shirt's tucked in. What happened? Well, her name is Jessica. <laughs> That's what happened, right? And all of a sudden, there's this love that supersedes all those other loves. He still loved to sleep in. But all of a sudden, it got replaced with a supreme love. You have a kid who can't wake up and go to school on time. They suddenly get up on their own. What happened? Well, they're receiving a paycheck from a job that if they don't go to, the paycheck stops. And so there's a love. The secret, listen, listen. The secret's so important. The secret to Holy Spirit-led self-control is not simply mind over matter. But it is rooted in loving supreme things supremely. Above and over all others. And this is what frees me to run the race effectively. And Paul says, I'm running for the crown. And I'm not running for a crown like a runner, but I'm running for a crown. What is it? Pleasing God? Yeah, certainly. But, but listen, I got to tell you something. That, that's, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Because pleasing God isn't what gets me into heaven. Pleasing God isn't what gets me forgiven of my sins. Pleasing God isn't what invites me into the family of God. That's not the gospel. Look at what Paul says. He says, I'm doing all this for the sake of the, what? The gospel that I may share in its blessings. He says, that's why I'm doing it. It's for the sake of the gospel. That, 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 that I am doing this because I'm living my life from the blessings of the gospel, that I did absolutely nothing to deserve God's love, that I did absolutely nothing to earn God's love, I did absolutely nothing to achieve my own salvation, and yet God loved me. He ran into my mess to pull me into a place of beauty. He ran into my chaos to pull me to a place of order. In the person of Jesus Christ, he took my place on the cross And I recognize that I am known and loved unconditionally by God and nothing can separate me from that love in Christ. Then loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's the secret to self-control. That's the secret. It is loving supreme things supremely. Jesus was asked, what's the most important command? What's the most important thing? He said, it's to what? Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And self-control is a fruit of that. 
Because if that's what's driving the affection of my heart, if that's what's filling my life, you see what I'm saying? Then the fruit, the result is I'm gonna say no to things that would hinder that, to things that would be contrary to that, and I'm gonna say yes to things that would be effective in that, things that would help me grow in that. I was reading this sermon by Thomas Chalmers, and I actually read an article uh, written by John Piper called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And in that article, uh, Piper writes some very interesting things. He said this, I recall once being asked a trick question. If you had access to all the latest machinery in a sophisticated science lab, what would be the most effective way to get all the air out of the glass beaker? One ponders the possible ways to suck the air out and create a vacuum. Eventually, the answer is given. Fill the beaker with water. And that's the point of Thomas Chalmers' famous message. It is intended as an illumination of 1 John 2.15. You ought to write that down. 1 John 2.15 says, Don't love the world or the things in the world, because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And what Chalmers does is he poses for himself the question, how shall the human heart be freed from its love for the world? Or maybe more adequately put, how shall the air of world love be removed from the beaker of my heart, my soul? This love is not a duty one performs, it's a delight one prefers. It's an affection before it's a commitment. And he says there's two ways someone might seek to remove this controlling affection, love for the world and all it has from their heart. One is to show that the world is not worthy of our affection and will let us down. The other is to show God is vastly more worthy of the heart's attachment, thus awaking a new and stronger affection that displaces the former affection for the world. Hence the expulsive power of a new affection. I love that. You see, here's the deal. Self-control is the fruit of a reordered love. But I, I think there's more. Let's keep going. Because Paul, same guy that wrote Galatians, wrote this to a young pastor, Titus, pastor in Crete. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it's the grace of God found in the gospel of Christ that teaches us to say what? No. To ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Stay with me on this. I think this passage, you ought to take a picture of it. It's fascinating because I think the point is this, self-control is the fruit. It's, it's a fruit of a will that's been retrained by the gospel. Oh, I like this. It, it's the grace of God found in Christ that teaches and trains us. It's exercising my mind and my spirit in the grace and the knowledge of all that Jesus has done and is doing in me and for me. It's growing up in the gospel. How does that happen? Well, when my supreme love is set on Jesus, I immerse myself and saturate myself in the truth of who God is and what he says in his word. And it retrains me. Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll follow me, you'll obey me. 
That's what he says. Like my affection's set there, and then what happens is as I immerse, so, as I uh, kind of saturate my life in the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ found in his word, it retrains my will. And there's two ways in particular that I want you to write these down. First is this, write down the word identity. So the more I saturate myself in understanding what God says, what the gospel of Jesus is, it is the gospel of Jesus that retrains my will by reminding me of who I am in Christ. Oh, guys, there is such confusion and chaos in our culture wrapped around identity. People trying to make a name for themselves, creating identity, identity confusion, gender identity. What Paul says, not for the follower of Christ. For the follower of Christ, you see what he says? Can I go back to that? He says that we are not our own. We're his very own. That our identity is wrapped up in Jesus. I'm not my own, but I am his, and I am who he says I am. And when I embrace that, when I believe that, when that gets itself into the marrow of my bones, it changes everything. I heard a guy, I mean, the illustration breaks down somewhere, but he says, imagine uh, someone that was uh, trying to quit smoking and somebody came up to them and said, want to smoke? And that person responded, no, I'm trying to quit. What are they saying? No, I'm a smoker who's trying to quit. And they're basically saying, as long as my willpower holds up, I'll say no. But imagine that person going to another person and saying, you want to smoke? And that person saying, no, I'm not a smoker. Then I'm resisting on the basis of identity. Here's the point. That illustration might break down some places. But Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, was tempted around identity. He said, if you really are who you say you are, then do this. The fact of the matter is the gospel does remind me that I am saved from my sin by a God who loves me and entered my mess to bring me into beauty, and that reorders my love. But listen to me, friends. The gospel doesn't just remind me of what I'm saved from, but the gospel reminds me what I'm saved into. I have a brand new identity. I am a trophy of God's grace. I am a child of the King. I am an heir with Christ. I am a part of the family of God. And self-control is the fruit of living into the identity I have in Christ. I live into the identity I receive from Christ. So self-control is surrendering control to the Spirit of God, living into who he says I am. And my identity is directly and, connect and closely connected with my purpose. Did you know that? My purpose flows from my identity. When I know who I am, I'll know what to do. Do you guys remember the story of David and Bathsheba? You guys remember the story, 2 Samuel? Let me just read this part to you and see if something sticks out to you. In the spring, at the time when, say that word out loud, at the time when what? Kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men. Who's the king in this story? David. And the whole Israelite army, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Who's the king? David. Who goes out to war in the spring? Kings. Who didn't go out? David. 
fact, if you read the story, David stayed back with all the women, and that's what got him in trouble because when kings were supposed to be at war, he was on the rooftop with a roaming eye, and the next thing you know, while his men are in battle, he's in bed with another man's wife. Titus says this, that one, Titus says one way that we are trained is to remember and live in the light of the blessed hope we have in Christ, to remember who we are and that this is not our home, but heaven is. And while we wait, he's given us work to do. The race that he's referring to is simply the work that he's given us to do. He wants us to live from the blessings of the gospel. He wants us to live uh, for the blessings of the gospel in others. Look at how Paul put it. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings, that I may live in light of all that I am, all that I have in Christ. That's freedom. But I want to share it because I want to make myself a slave so that after I preach to others, I want, that's the race. I myself might not be disqualified for the prize. Here's the deal, guys. When I lose sight of my identity, I will begin to distort my purpose. I'll begin to place myself in all kinds of environments that begin to erode my purpose and have the risk of disqualifying me. Instead of being in the battle, I'm going to be in bed. Runners run. Boxers box. Wrestlers wrestle. Kings go to war in the spring. If David had been where he was supposed to be, doing what kings did, he, would, he wouldn't have found himself in bed with Bathsheba. As children of God, as trophies of grace, we become ambassadors who embody and declare the goodness of God found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, here's the deal. Self-control isn't just bite your lip, mind ever matter. It's reordering my love where God is the supreme object of my affection. It's retraining my will where the gospel reminds me of who I am and then who I am will somehow begin to instruct what I do. Which leads to one last thing. You have time? One last thing. Can I do that? Because the writer of Hebrews says, this race you're running, I want y'all to run. He says, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Those who have gone on, and he listed Hebrews 11. He says, therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders. This is self-control. He says, get rid of things that are going to slow you down. He says, I, I want you to get rid of the sin that's going to trip you up. It's going to entangle you. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, there's been a race marked out for you. There's a race marked out for me. And it's to share in the blessings of the gospel, not only to live from it personally, but to live for it in the lives of others. And he says, I want you to, 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 with your affection set solely and primarily supremely on Jesus Christ, with your mind being retrained by the gospel of Christ and your will being surrendered to the spirit of God through the word of God. He says, I want you to run this race with perseverance. How are we going to do that? He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the what? For the, you ought to underline that, joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorned to shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Sometimes, sometimes we grow weary and we lose heart. And he says, what's the secret? He says, consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. If you want to endure and not lose heart, look to Jesus who ran his race, not by willpower alone, but by joy power.
You see, self-control is the fruit of a life that's redirected, maybe refocused by Jesus. Jesus endured the cross. He willingly gave his life for the joy set before him. It was the joy before him that caused him to say yes to the Father's will. He said, not my will, but yours be done. What was the joy? What was it that he wanted that he did not have before the cross? Was it heaven? No. Was it the Father? No. It was you. It was me. What a powerful, powerful message. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Some of you are watching me. You've never said yes to Jesus. And if you you, you turn this maybe message off and you say, I'm going to go become better at self-control, you're going to miss the whole point. Because the whole point is that freedom in Christ is only found when I say yes to Jesus. I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. You died in my place. You died in my place. And I want to say yes to you as the only one who can save me from my sins. I want to say yes to you as the only one who can save me into the family of God. And I want to recognize that once you save me from my sins into the family of God, you save me for a purpose while I wait for the blessed hope Titus talked about. Some of you have never said yes to Jesus. Why don't you right there, pull the car over, put the coffee down. Why don't you just bow your head and say, God, I believe you love me. And I believe I'm a sinner and I believe Jesus died for me. And I want to say yes to Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I want to say yes this moment. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. And I want to say humbly thank you for inviting me into your family. And if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear from you. There's a lot of you who would say, well, I'm a follower of Christ. But if you're honest, your life is like a city with no walls. Some of you, what you're trying to do is mind every matter, bite your lip. And the problem is, is that Christ doesn't have the supreme affection of your heart. The only way self-control and the walls of self-control will begin to show up, the fruit of self-control will begin to show up in your life, is when you put your supreme affection on Christ and you let that begin to reorder your desires. You let that begin to reorder your perspective. And then you immerse yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ found in the word of God, surrendering yourself surrendering yourself to the spirit of God's leading as he leads you through the word of God, it begins to retrain your will. And you realize who you are. And you get off the rooftop. You get off the rooftop of the roaming eye. And you get in the battle. And you get in the race. Because runners run. Boxers box. Wrestlers wrestle. Kings go to war in the springtime. And followers of Jesus, children of God, while they wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of Jesus Christ, they work for the sake of the gospel, sharing in his blessings. My prayer for you is that the fruit of the Spirit, more of Jesus, less of you. So God, I pray for my friends watching this. Might more of Jesus show up in our life and less of us. I pray this in Jesus' precious name.